It's time now for the complete story, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now here's the BRN father and son team, Dick and Rich Bot, with today's complete story. Yeah, well, li- listen, Bot Radio Network family, I've been talking, you know, about being 87 years old pretty soon now, coming right up on it and all that sort of thing. Well, it came and went. So this past week I had my 87th birthday, and uh, that was kind of interesting. We'll talk more about that at another time. What you learn over the years as you ponder the meaning of life and all of these things. But I ran across an old gentleman who told about how he met the Master. I want to start the program with it. Here it is. I walked last way with an easy tread, had followed where comforts and pleasures led, until one day in a quiet place. I met the Master face to face. I met him and knew him and blushed to see that his eyes full of pity were fixed on me, and I faltered and fell at his feet that day while my castles melted and vanished away, vanished away and in their place. No else could I see but the Master's face, and I cried aloud, O make me meet to follow the path of thy wounded feet. My thoughts are now for the souls of men. I've lost my life to gain it again. Ever since that day, in a quiet place, I met the Master face to face. Yeah. You know, whenever that happens, and I'm glad to have my son in the studio with me right now, Rich, whenever that happens, young or old, young or old, or some age with some time in between, That's a pivotal point in your life, isn't it? Each person has to meet the master face to face. Well, let's start out with this song. It kind of tells about it. Here it is. Like a blind man who walks in the darkness I had long, I had searched for the light
when it cries for its mother like the child I was helpless alone then I met the master something rich isn't that wonderful dad your personal collection is vast (laughs) it spans a tremendous period of time too but that's a wonderful song it is a wonderful song it's a wonderful song because it's very personal it's very personal we ought to be singing that in our churches more now rich there was an interesting meeting in memphis tennessee just a few days back and um, because there is a pastor are you listening preachers There's a pastor in Memphis who also for 26 years has been serving in the the state legislature in Nashville uh, to represent his district in the Memphis area, District 90, for those people who live in Memphis. And he believes what he has always believed. He practices what he teaches and what he says. He keeps his promise. And for 26 years, he's been the same man except now the democrat party said we don't want him anymore the people keep electing him so we're going to absolutely have an executive committee meeting and take his name off the ballot we won't do it until it's almost too late for him to run for another term anyway there was a meeting in memphis rich tell us about that well it was terrific there were about 50 pastors from his district in memphis that met with him and uh, he had a chance to tell his personal story his testimony and open his heart before the pastors and it was powerful powerful so now he's able to run on the ballot as an independent yeah. Uh, without all of that party uh, apparatus to help support his candidacy, but with yeah. his name recognition and the way the people appreciate him and his stand for life and good education and good values, there's good possibility that people will send him back, although this time as an independent. As an independent. Another thing, I, was, I used to know a, a municipal judge, a state court judge in the state of Missouri, 
and he was a Democrat. You know, Harry Truman was a Democrat, President Harry Truman. Anyway, this gentleman, just as good as gold on the same things that John DeBerry uh, feels strongly about. And then I asked him, Judge, I see you're not running as a, as a Democrat anymore. He said, I tell you what, Dick, I'm the same person I always was. But he said, my party has moved away from me. Yeah. And I think this is what the people in Memphis are facing now. I'll tell you this, the people are facing this in Kansas. My word, my word, there's a church on every street corner in the state of Kansas. And yet I understand that Kansas is still struggling over the issues that John DeBerry you know, is facing there in Tennessee. So everybody listening to this broadcast, it's your battle, it's your choice, and you've got to stand up and pull up your socks. Uh, this is an interview that uh, Pastor John DeBerry um, gave uh, over EWTN Television Network, and I just found it so honestly open, and, um, and I want our listeners to hear it now. A pro-life Tennessee state representative is running as an independent after he was ousted from the Democratic Party for his views on life and marriage. Representative John DeBerry, who has held his seat for 26 years, was removed from the Democratic ballot for the 2020 election by the state party's executive committee. Tennessee State Representative John DeBerry joins me now. Well, I know that you've been in office now for more than two decades, and no doubt voters by now are familiar with your positions on life and marriage as well as school choice. So why do you think the Democratic Party had you removed from the ballot? I think that it was a a tactic that they decided to use since they were pretty aware of the fact that the voters of District 90 have elected me consecutively 13 terms. And each time by a healthy uh, percentage, either uh, of more than 60 or even 70 percent on every election. So in order to um, elect the person that they have deemed uh, is more of a Democrat than I am that's going to carry the the party ideology as it has evolved and stand and for those virtues that they consider important, then the only way in order for them to win and accomplish this was to find a way to remove me from the ballot so that the voters don't get a chance to vote. And this is exactly what they did and they accomplished uh, by this coup they pulled back in April. What type of message do you think this sends to your constituents? It sends a message to the constituents, uh, as the people, uh, even if they agree with me or don't agree with me, it says that their vote is not important, that a tribunal of uh, elitists, that they, they have more of a say about who represents them than they do. Basically, they said that the people of District 90 don't have enough information to elect their representative, that they would have to do it for them. I know that you were one of more than 100 Democrats who signed a letter asking the platform committee of the Democratic National Convention to make abortion language in the party's platform more moderate, but we know that didn't happen. As an elected official and a minister, how do you feel about the direction that the party is headed? Well, the, the Democratic Party has more or less made a decision that these issues are not important to them, uh, for them to stand for what a large portion of people in that district stand for and believe both black and white and other cultures and ethnicities have loudly and clearly said 
three elections in a row, they have run against me and they have used my anti-abortion, my pro-marriage stance, my stance uh, for parental responsibility and parental choice. They have plastered the, these positions all over my district. And so, therefore, you can't say that the people didn't know why they were voting for me. And what this does is it, it shrinks the tent of the so-called inclusive party to the extent that they say, if you don't believe what we believe, say what we say, vote like we tell you to vote, you're not welcome in this party. And I think folks should open their eyes and realize when they're being taken for granted, uh, when they are not being respected, and most certainly when their views, their values, and their morals are being disdained as old-fashioned, passe, and on the wrong side of history. I know you've also been receiving a lot of attention for denouncing the riots that we've seen across the country. As a longtime civil rights activist yourself, what's your message to those people that are resorting to violence? Well, those who are resorting to, to violence right now, this was never the way of the civil rights movement. And what I repudiate uh, is them um, uh, in some way putting a mark on the legacy of my father and mother and many other fathers and mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers and fathers who stood with character, with courage, and with class and change the world uh, at that particular time. And Dr. Martin Luther King's entire movement was a peaceful uh, protest, peaceful protest. Uh, they put on their, their suits. In other words, they stood to dispel the stereotypes. I'm one of those people, and I said this in that speech, who went in, in the back doors, who rode on the back of the bus, who drank the colored water, who went to the colored school, who went to the zoo on Tuesday, who sat in the balcony where the coloreds were supposed to stand. These are things that I lived, and therefore we were marching for the basic rights, the basic constitutional and civil rights of being an American. Right now, these riots, this violence, this destruction, this dangerous behavior has nothing to do with civil rights and has everything to do with anarchy. Isn't that something, Rich? What a great man, Dad. It was to be with him in person just a few days ago. Uh, I want to tell our listeners that this is happening all over the United States. Uh, this is really a war between life and death. It's a war before, between whose children are they really? Uh, do they belong to the state to just go to the state school and accept about marriage and everything else that, that they're taught? Or do they belong to the parents? Yeah. Should the parents have a choice um, where their children go to school? Can I say one more thing about sure. John DeBerry? Yes. You know, the Democrat leadership there in Tennessee put somebody else on the ballot to primary him for several terms in a row. And he kept winning the primary against their selected candidate overwhelmingly until this time they finally just took him off the ballot so yeah. that people wouldn't have a chance to vote for him. And they placed instead an openly homosexual man in a so-called gay marriage, and they intend to celebrate him as the first openly LGBTQ representative there. And, From Memphis. Uh, and, and they're going to replace John D. Barry with his convictions of morality and so forth with somebody that they hand-selected like this. Yeah. You All know right, what? Folks. You know, somebody said the wrong side of history. I want to be on the right side of eternity. <laughs> well, that's that's exactly right, and that's what Bot Radio Network stands for, to try and inform 
and uh, get people to think, examine, uh, talk. I believe in freedom of speech, all of these things. Now, here's something else I want our listeners to hear. This is going to get very, very, uh, very deep. There was a hearing some time back in Washington, D.C., on this subject of life. And there was a group of doctors who had previously been practicing abortion, and then they just gave it up, and they testified before the House Committee in Washington, D.C. And one was Dr. Anthony Leventino. And the first voice you're going to hear is Representative Steve Cohn, who made a statement just before uh, Dr. Leventino was to speak, and uh, and Representative Steve Cohn, a federal rep, is uh, representing <laughs> in Memphis, Tennessee. Can you imagine? And he is in the pocket of Planned Parenthood, pure and simple. And whenever somebody that's pro-life comes around him, he always has something very mean to say. So the first voice you're going to hear is Representative Steve Cohn from Memphis in Washington before the Judiciary Committee. And then you're going to hear Dr. Uh, Anthony Leventino's story, how he used to do abortions, what's involved in an abortion, and how he came to realize what on earth was he doing and not want to do it anymore. This is where everyone listening to this broadcast now has to really examine it and think about it for goodness sake, because it's stark. If you can't handle the testimony you're going to hear that's very stark, I'm telling you, when you get through hearing this, you're going to know exactly what the doctor knew in the process of the abortion. And the first voice you're going to hear is Representative Steve Cohn making some nasty comment about pro-life people. Here it is. This investigation of Planned Parenthood is based on false premises, one after another after another. It's time to stop wasting time, get on with meaningful work, and stop picking on women and trying to take their choice away. I yield back the balance of my time. The time of the gentleman has expired. We welcome our distinguished witnesses today. Do you and each of you swear that the testimony that you are about to give shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? And I'll now begin by introducing today's witnesses. The first witness is Dr. Anthony Levitino. Dr. Levitino is a board-certified obstetrician gynecologist. Over the course of his career, Dr. Levitino has practiced obstetrics and gynecology in both private and university settings, including as an associate professor of OBGYN at the Albany Medical College. And Dr. Levitino, we'll begin with you. Welcome. Thank you, Chairman and members of the committee. Um, I only have five minutes, so I'm going to get right to it. Second trimester d &E abortions performed between roughly 14 and 24 weeks of gestation. Your patient today is 17 years old. She's 22 weeks pregnant. Her baby is the length of your hand plus a couple of inches. And she's been feeling her baby kick for the last several weeks. But she's asleep on an operating room table. You walk into that operating room scrubbed and gowned, and after removing laminaria, you introduce a suction catheter into the uterus. This is a 14 French suction catheter. If she were 12 weeks pregnant or less, basically the width of your hand is smaller, you could basically do the entire procedure with this. But babies this big don't fit through catheters this size. After suctioning the amniotic fluid out from around the baby, you introduce an instrument called a sofa clamp. It's about 13 inches long. It's made of stainless steel. 
The business end of this clamp is about two and a half inches long and a half inch wide. There are rows of sharp teeth. This is a grasping instrument. When it gets a hold of something, it does not let go. A DNA procedure is a blind abortion, so picture yourself introducing this and grabbing anything you can blindly and pull, and I do mean hard, and out pops a leg about that big, which you put down on the table next to you. Reach in again, pull again, pull out an arm about the same length, which you put down on the table next to you, and use this instrument again and again to tear out the spine, the intestines, the heart and lungs. Head in the baby that size is about the size of a large plum, can't see it, but you pretty good idea you've got it if you've got your instrument around something and your fingers are spread about as far as they go. You know you did it right if you crush down on the instrument and white material runs out of the cervix. That was the baby's brains. Then you could pull out skull pieces. And you have a day like I had a lot of times, sometimes a little face comes back and stares back at you. Congratulations, you just successfully performed a second trimester DNA abortion. You just affirmed her right to choose. One more question, Dr. Levitino. Why did you end your practice of doing abortions? I did over 1,200 abortions over a four-year period in private practice, now counting the ones that I did during my training. Um, I met my wife at, um, during my first year of training at Albany Medical Center. We got married about a year later and found that we had an infertility problem. After years of failed infertility treatment and several years trying to adopt a child, we were blessed with a, adopting a, a little girl that we named Heather. And, August of 1978. Um, as sometimes happens in those situations, my wife got pregnant the very next month and we had two children ten months apart. Um, two months short of my daughter Heather's sixth birthday, she was killed in an auto accident and literally died in her arms in the back of an ambulance. Anyone who has children might think they have some idea of what that feels like, but unless you've been through it yourself, you have no idea whatsoever. Um, I know people find it hard to believe, but uh, what do you do after disaster? You bury your child and then you go back to your life. And I don't remember exactly how long it was after my daughter died that I showed up at Albany Medical Center OR number 9 to perform my first second trimester d &E abortion. I wasn't thinking of it as anything special. This was routine to me. Um, but I reached in, literally pulled out an arm or leg and got sick. You know, earlier on I described stacking up body parts on the side of the table. It's not to, you know, gross people out, to use a simple term. When you do an, an abortion, you need to keep inventory. You have to make sure you get two arms and two legs and all the pieces. If you don't, your patient's going to come back infected, bleeding, or dead. Um, so I soldiered on and finished that abortion. And I know it sounds, as I said, hard for people to believe, but I'm, I'm telling you straight up my experience. You know, after over 1,200 abortions, first and second trimester up to 24 weeks and all the rest of it, and being very dedicated to it, for the first time in my life, I really looked. I really looked at that pile of body parts on the side of the table. And I didn't see her wonderful right to choose, and I didn't see all the money I just made. All I could see was somebody's son or daughter. And I stopped doing late-term abortions after that, and several months later stopped doing all abortions. Thank you. Well, there you have it, folks. There you have it. Let's hear the voice one more time of uh, Memphis U.S. Representative Steve Cohn and what he said. Here it is. This investigation of Planned Parenthood is based on false premises, one after another after another. It's time to stop wasting time, get on with meaningful work, and stop picking on women and trying to take their choice away. I yield back the balance of my
Well, now, here is the niece of uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Her name is Dr. Elvita King, and she prayed at the pro-life meeting in Washington, D.C., and this is her prayer. I want to ask each of you folks listening, is it your prayer as well? Here is Dr. Elvita King. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to forgive us of all of our sins. Like Daniel, he prayed for his and a nation. So did Esther, Lord God. And we're here today doing the same thing, led by our bold brother to come and just walk the grounds. And you told Joshua, every place that his feet touched, he could claim it for you. So we claim this territory for your kingdom. Father, we have sinned and, and misunderstood or just on purpose thought that we were separate races. We are one human race. Acts 17, 26 says one blood, Lord God. We are one human race. We're not colorblind. We're going to open our eyes. Jesus gives sight to the blind. And we're going to recognize ethnicity and all the beauty that you gave us, Lord. So forgive us and let's, let us love children. Let us love life life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness from the womb to the tomb. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Oh, Rich, do we have any listener comments? Really well, quick? we do. Uh, we have a special one here, and uh, we, want, we want to play this one, too, because this has kind of been a special week. Hi, this is Carol. I live in Sweet Springs, Missouri, and I'm calling to wish Dick Bott a very, very blessed birthday. Bot Radio is my lifeline. I thank you very much. God's richest blessings to all. Uh, well, Carol, you're part of the family. You're part of the Bot Radio Network. I don't know how you knew that was uh-huh. my birthday. What else do we have, Rich? Here's one. My name is William. Five years ago, March 31st, 2016, I was born again to Jesus Christ. And you guys have helped my life so much, man. Bot Radio Network, every one of the pastors is just so amazing. I weep when they preach. And I just heard Rich and Dick talk about and play the senator, talking about the unborn child, how they lodged the scissors into the neck and sucked out the brains. And I just, my heart screams with anguish and hurt. As Christ hung on that cross and died for us, how could they do that to our children? Thank you. Yeah. We've got to give the phone number, Rich. Amen. 1-800-345-2621. We'd love to hear from you. 1-800-345-2621. All right. This is Dick Bott with my son, Rich, with another chapter of The Complete Story. But one of these times, I just want to take the program to talk to you and tell you what's on my heart from, from kind of from A to Z. I like that. And uh, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. <laughs> 